You're listening to E-Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co-sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Brand Builders on E-Commerce Marketing School. My name's Brooke Burge, and I'm SVP of Brand Marketing here at Attentive, the parent company of Privy. So in case you missed any of these earlier episodes, wanted to give you a quick heads up on what to expect. In this segment, I'll chat with some incredible founders and brand builders, those who have not just built up successful companies, but brands that people actually love. So we'll cover things like how you can intentionally make your company's values and mission come to life throughout all your marketing touch points, and how you can foster a sense of strong community so that people are actually very excited to share your products with others. So today, you'll hear from Michael Engert, who's co-founder and president of Very Good Light, a leading destination for men's beauty and grooming. That's really a perfect example of the content plus commerce business model with editorial features and products that center around this idea of beauty beyond the binary. So I've known Michael for some time now, and I've always admired the brands that he's gotten to create, you know, from being CMO at Cynthia Rally, the fashion designer, to leading direct-to-consumer marketing at Supergoop, the sunscreen brand, to being a VP at VaynerMedia, the digital marketing agency where he worked with a ton of different brands. So I feel like I always learn something new when I talk to him, and that was definitely the case for this conversation as well. So I hope it'll help you out as you keep building out your own companies. So now on to my chat with Michael. All right, Michael, I'm excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining. Hi, Brooke. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I'd love if you could, you know, in your own words, share with us, you know, your co-founder and president of Very Good Light. In your own words, what is Very Good Light? Very Good Light founded by my partner, David, co-founder in our skincare business. Very Good Light was started to shine a light on underrepresented communities and voices. And so David's a journalist by trade. I think at one point he was leading fashion and skincare for Mashable, if you remember Mashable, and actually found that it was his stories that were going, making its way to the front page of Mashable and he wrote a story about 11 trans teens that went viral and won him his first GLAD award, maybe, maybe just a nomination, a Webby award. And he kind of realized that no one was addressing or highlighting or covering people like him. And so he moved actually back to Colorado, launched Very Good Light, bootstrapped it, was also writing a book at the time, which launched last year. But it was really to shine a light on folks who may not have been traditionally covered in in marketing and media, and those stories weren't being told. And so he initially set out to redefine masculinity. And at the time, I don't think many people thought it needed to be redefined. I think we all know better now. But yeah, it was very much a passion project, a solo endeavor, but very quickly kind of gained traction. And there was a whole world of people out there who wanted to contribute and make it something really special. And that's contributed to the platform that it is today. That's awesome. And it, you know, it sounds like it's it's grown quite organically since that time, since it's founded in uh, such a unique mission around redefining masculinity and, you know, kind of the definition of beauty and what those standards are. So, you know, this podcast is all about brand building. So I'd love to hear, you know, your idea of what is a brand. There's a lot of different ways that people define that and think about that. But, you know, having grown multiple brands throughout your career. How do you kind of think of that? Most of the brands that I've worked at have been in consumer goods. And so maybe I'll focus a little bit there. 
you know, I think if we really pull back, a brand is a connection to a product. I've always kind of erred on the side of most brands think they're more important to consumers than they actually are. I think there are very few brands that consumers truly like care about, love. I think people love products. I think people repeatedly buy from the same brands. Certainly there have been, you know, as a, as a new father, there have been some products that we love or couldn't do without because of how helpful they were at different stages of our kids' development. But like, I think at the end of the day, it's really just a connection to a product. I think what brands can do to create a, a deeper connection, a more emotional connection, you know, there's a number of things that, that that can do, obviously. But at the end of the day, I think a brand is a, for most brands are a logo that's on a product. And most brands would probably be more successful in communicating to consumers if they understood that. Your point there is that a lot of people are drawn to the product, to the solution, and the brand seems like kind of this envelope around it or this kind of concept that is around that. But ultimately, if the product isn't strong and if the experience with the product isn't there, the brand affinity won't be there either. Is that is that kind of what you mean by that? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, at the end of the day, as we've all learned recently, you can't just model out lifetime value, right, as a brand. You can't just drop a bunch of numbers into a spreadsheet and think that you're going to get a 3x or 5x return on your customer acquisition costs, not to get too tactical. I think like you have to develop a product that people love and you have to listen very intently to consumer feedback and feed that into your operations, your product development, your customer support. At the end of the day, the product is what builds the brand. And I think we've all heard from successful brands who have said the faster that that consumer can own or participate in how that brand evolves, like the more successful you're going to be. But a lot of folks, I think, are hesitant to to give consumers that opening or, or power. You know, you have something I have been thinking a lot about recently, because we very much at Good Light and Very Good Light hope to build a community around our brand and products. And, you know, we think that our mission and values do align with a younger consumer or or um, certainly the things that the world is finding more important are the things that we hold dear. But at the end of the day, like what is community? And I think most brands say that they have communities. And if you pulled the people supposedly within that community, they would say, what are you talking about? Every investor wants to hear this, but I think most community members would kind of question their involvement in the community. It's almost like community washing, like we have greenwashing and everything else. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's the product. And if you can develop a product that has real meaning or value to the consumer, then you're on your way to building a brand that they would prefer over others. And and maybe you get really lucky in your brand that people actually care about. But I would argue that most people couldn't name five brands that they really, truly care about in a way that's separated from just a product they love. That's a very, very interesting point. And you've worked on a number of different products throughout your career, you know, before Very Good Light, um, having been CMO at Cynthia Rally, the fashion company, head of direct-to-consumer at Supergoop, uh, the sunscreen brand, which as as I know you know, Michael, I'm obsessed with, still am. So how has working on, you know, those different types of categories of products helped you as a co-founder now at Very Good Light? Like you've had such experience growing businesses across different categories. How did that kind of equip you for where you are today? I would actually go back one or a few rules 
before Cynthia Rally, um, when I was on the agency side and we were working with big brands and so across categories. And that was kind of my first exposure into how different brands operate within different categories. And obviously there's some, there are more successful ones than others, but at Cynthia Rally, it was great because it was a very, very small business. She's a very talented designer, obviously, but the operation was very small. And so I quickly realized that I was going to be involved in things I had no idea about, like supply chains and freight forwarders and China, <laughs> licensing, retail, like pretty much everything outside of digital media or e-commerce. And that was, that was very helpful for me. I learned pretty quickly all of the things I didn't know about actual commerce instead of just digital commerce, let's say. From there... Uh, as you mentioned, I went to Supercoop, which was kind of my first experience in skincare, beauty and skincare, and I learned a lot. There's obviously some some nuances to the beauty and skincare category that I don't think most consumers understand when it comes to how you market the products and uh, the things that are really important when it comes to product development and how long that takes and how important you know squeezing out those margins are, especially you know today. And then from there, it was actually at Supergoop where I met David, and uh, we just kind of hit it off. And then when I left Supergoop, David and I reconnected, and he was looking for a co-founder. You know, David's skills and mine are, are pretty complementary, and so we've been really lucky that our co-founder relationship, I think, has been a fairly smooth one. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty strong relationship that we have today, but it started, you know, from just... Uh, a few conversations that happened over the course of a few years. Um, so I think both of us were, were taking a bit of a leap, but David's experience to that point and my experience to that point have kind of melt, uh, melded together, I think, in a pretty, you know, <laughs> fairly successful way. Uh, we still have a long way to go. No, it seems like your your backgrounds bounce each other. And you mentioned before that he, you know, really started Very Good Light more on the editorial side initially, talking and in, in about different concepts within the beauty space that hadn't been really covered or discussed that media wasn't paying attention to. And eventually this came to oversect with e-commerce. Um, you have your own shop, uh, Good Light. So how did those strategies come to be or overlap? And how do you think about the interplay between the e-commerce property that you have as part of the brand and the editorial side of the business? What David had built over the course of four years, literally article by article, right? A very high percentage of the traffic coming to verygoodlight.com, even to this day, is organic search. And so David, of course, was writing not just about redefining masculinity, but uh, some of the larger cultural shifts that are taking place around diversity and equity and inclusion. But there's been a lot written recently about content plus commerce or linear commerce because of how difficult it is now to acquire customers and how different or how difficult it is to stand out in a crowded market, whether it's beauty or apparel or, you know, any category of product. And so it gave us some real advantages because at the end of the day, what David and um, the editorial team have been able to do really well is connect to the reader, tell different stories, essentially create content. And as we all know, creating content is kind of a very critical thing to being a successful brand and company today, to selling products. Um, so we had, I think, a real expertise in creating content and telling stories, connecting with that consumer or reader. 
but it also gave us a huge head start on traffic because almost overnight, whatever we decided to, to launch, we had this huge group of readers that you know, might turn out to, to support those efforts. And so initially we did some small tests along the way. We created a anti-social social club knockoff hoodie. That was the Asian Social Skincare Club hoodie. And that did incredibly well. And it gave us a sense for how big this audience was that may want to actually purchase something that we developed or produced. And so as we were building up the editorial business after I joined, we were also doing these small tests to understand who that audience was, what they wanted, as we were also developing the skincare line. And so beyond just the size of the audience or maybe their affinity for David or what very good light might launch next, we could also create content and write articles about different categories of products or ingredient stories or trends, et cetera. And we could see very clearly the performance against those stories. And so that also helped to inform our thinking about you know those first launch products and still to this day, helps us to inform a product roadmap. And then of course, like once we launch the skincare line, you know, we're trying to kind of build those hooks or those ways for a very good light reader to come into the good light skincare brand and fill the top of the funnel, so to speak. And that's also been pretty successful and has been pretty resilient, even though good light is now growing very quickly, we're still getting a meaningful amount of traffic coming in from very good light. And you know, I think as you talk about like building brand or building a community or, you know, fostering connections, um, being an editorial platform and having that somewhat separate from good light allows us to do things that I think most brands just can't do, right? If they're reaching out to a popular trader influencer as a brand, it's pretty much a transactional relationship, unless that person already loves their products, let's say, and may be willing to, to work with them in more interesting ways. Um, we can reach out to creators and influencers or other folks as very good light. We can very authentically you know, strike up a relationship. Maybe we're hoping to write a story about them or their new show or what have you. And we can start to develop that relationship on that side of the business and then if we have a shoot for good light or we're launching a new product, maybe the fact that we've already got to know them a little bit allows us to better work with them in the future on both sides of the business. So, so there's a lot of lot of ways it contributes and benefits. And you know, I think what's what's interesting about that is as a B2B marketer, we always look at consumer marketing, like what are they doing there? What's interesting that are tactics that we could apply in, you know, business to business context. But I feel like content and SEO are two things that have been really, really strong on the B2B side that smarter, um, you know, consumer brands are starting to look at now and say, like you said, in terms of driving organic search results, in terms of introducing people top of funnel, and also just aligning yourself to some trends or topics that relate to the product that you're selling and help that audience. So I feel like that's one of those tactics that, you know, maybe lived in B2B a little bit more, but we're starting to see creep up in B2C. It just takes time, right? I think like that's what most consumer marketers either aren't allowed to pursue or maybe just don't quite fully understand how long it takes. But, you know, very good light took, you know, a couple of years to be a meaningful source of traffic. If a brand wants that same thing, they should expect it to take probably <laughs> the same time. You know, it's like, yes, we all want more Instagram followers or, or TikTok views, 
but it takes time. It takes like lots of swings and the most successful, yeah, the most successful brands on TikTok right now are the ones who are iterating, right? And they're willing to spend the next year iterating to find what works. I do think that like what works in SEO also translates to something like TikTok where uh, at the end of the day, maybe consumers want to be more entertained on TikTok versus informed, but that's slowly changing. But if you look at like keyword data, you know, what might be successful in writing content for organic search, you can probably follow a similar playbook and as one part of your TikTok strategy, let's say, and then you'll start to find the things that, that catch, you know, we friends of the program, let's say, went viral on TikTok because they were doing a podcast and they filmed those podcasts and then they cut them up and put them on different social platforms. And something that really took off on TikTok was the male gaze, either because there was, you know, a lot of interest in it or, you know, the way that they communicated it was more entertaining. But what's amazing about TikTok, and now we're seeing this on Instagram and YouTube, which is less kind of follower and reach based, but more, we'll find those people who are interested in this content. So however niche it may be, at least TikTok will find the people that are interested in that content. And so your job then is to continue to develop that kind of content, like those concentric circles. So it's still in line with whoever that core audience was that made it go viral in the first place. But then slowly over time, you can start to reach more and more people. That's, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about how the learnings from your editorial side, you know, what you're getting there in Google Analytics or what's working well with the the site content could interplay into what you feed into TikTok. Because as you see, you know, more people are turning to TikTok as the start of their search online. So thinking about that, and like you said, it might be a really, really niche area. It's kind of like a, a long tail keyword. You know, it's kind of like getting that audience that's super high intent in your brand and you know, introducing them to that topic that you fit into. So very, very smart strategy there to be able to to not just think about the editorial. <laughs> and no, and it, and it definitely takes time, right? Like I think there's no silver bullets in brand marketing and in marketing in general. And you know, I think a lot about brand building takes, it's your audience acquisition. It's what takes time to build an audience. And then demand generation is, is more of the customer acquisition, like moving them to the point of purchase. And you have to have both, but the audience acquisition, it doesn't come easy. So like you said, you know, not to just launch an editorial property and expect to have that complete content plus commerce experience, you know, within a month, <laughs> not going to happen. Going into the editorial side a little bit more, you know, I'd love to hear, are there any like key adjectives that you think about when building content for Very Good Light or for the e-commerce property? You know, what do you try to convey through your marketing? Are there certain like brand attributes that you think about for that? What we've looked at for, for Good Light is this idea of beauty beyond the binary. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for us, it kind of perfectly encapsulates this idea that, and we were kind of talking about this uh, earlier off camera, but like in our world, everyone is beautiful, right? And in our world, there's reason to be really hopeful about the future you know, given kind of the current situation we all find ourselves in, like that may be really hard to see or to understand, but like beauty beyond the binary gives us the freedom to explore a lot of different ways to communicate that idea and to connect with people. And, you know, every day we hear coming in from customer support or through DMs, et cetera, 
like just these incredible stories. Kids who may have found a bit of a home, you know, with good light in our products and our and our, our mission and values, or through the stories that very good light tells. Um, we've heard from parents whose son or daughter is gay or is unsure what they are, or they're, you know, trans. It's there's so much beauty in the world. Beauty beyond the binary allows us to maybe capture that a bit more easily from like a a marketing standpoint, a positioning standpoint that helps us to develop our comms and our marketing campaigns. And so that phrase is really what is is guiding kind of the, you know, the output of whether it's a social post or a campaign, it's, you know, laddering up to that idea of beauty beyond the binary. Exactly. And I think to your point, it looks a little different maybe in every channel. And we're still a very small brand, so we can't kind of tackle them all. But in our email campaigns, for example, this idea of daily affirmations has been hugely successful. There isn't a mention about the brand or the product. There's certainly no promotion. But for a lot of people, it's the most opened email probably of their week. It certainly is within our within our buckets of different emails that we send. And it's just this kind of idea of paying it forward or you know, maybe letting people know that they're not alone, that there are more people out there like them or that hold the same values, et cetera. And I think, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest, we were initially a little hesitant maybe to really push on this idea of beauty beyond the binary. And, you know, it's because you have a hundred thousand conversations with investors <laughs> and, you know, most of whom are, you know, white men, let's say, or white men and women, let's say. And it's hard for them, I think, to understand unless they have some kind of direct experience that beauty beyond the binary or gender inclusive skincare, like these are not small ideas. These are not small markets, right? Increasingly, young people view gender in a much different way than, than I did or my parents did, et cetera. And so you'd have all these conversations. And you're like, okay, maybe it is small and maybe that's not the right strategy. And maybe we should be trying to appeal to more people. And of course, I think like, you know, with hindsight being what it is, you pretty quickly recognize it's like, no, I need to be very true to who we are and what got us here and let people come to us. And I think we're very fortunate that the world is coming to us, maybe a bit more slowly than some of us would like. But yeah, Beauty Beyond the Binary for us allows us to have that North Star and everything we do in all of our channels should that wrap to that. I love the, you said the word hopeful, and I really liked that as a, kind of one of the adjectives for the Good Light brand, because, you know, that's what, when I was you know, browsing through the brand Instagram, I got the sense of, you know, this is hopeful, this is kind of ethereal, like almost like there's this kind of oasis or like world where things exist that you know, are a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more accepting. So that definitely comes across to me. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more around the visual identity of the brand. How How is this approach? Like, who owns this? Who thought about this in terms of the logo, the color palette, those kind of, um, I don't know, how the word whimsical comes to mind, the imagery that you use? Like, where does that live and how have you evolved that over time? Yeah, it's we very much want it to be otherworldly. And it's definitely David's brainchild. He's incredibly creative. And we also partnered with Center Design Studio based out of Brooklyn who do incredible work. And they'll be the first ones to tell you the first few ideas they had for Good Light weren't quite hitting that idea that we had for what Good Light could be in this, as you were saying, kind of otherworldly or, or more whimsical 
place. And so it took a few tries, but they just developed the most incredible brand coming out of David's brain or, or thought process. And then since then, it's we've continued to partner with Center, of course, but David and, and Ellie, our head of marketing, have you know, helped to evolve that brand as it takes different shapes, whether the product and the product categories change or the channels change. The consumer, you know, certainly evolves over time. But yeah, we're really proud of of the design and the packaging. We get great feedback from customers and our retailers. We think it's special at a time where, you know, I think every generation has their groups of brands that look very similar and there's nothing wrong with that. But we do feel like ours uh, strikes a bit of a different tone. I agree. I felt like that feel matches what you're aiming to accomplish, where it's kind of like open-mindedness, looking out for new ideas, new ways of thinking and like discovery of it. So you said that just for folks listening, since we often get questions on who to work with for brand design projects, you said the name of the studio again, one more time. Yeah, Center Design Studio, founded by Alex Center, based in Greenpoint, I want to say. Yeah, they are just supremely talented. Great. Well, thank you for the recommendation. So I wanted to go back to, you know, kind of in the beginning, you were talking about how at its core, you know, consumers are drawn to quality products or products that work for them. So taking that into the the realm of beauty beyond the binary, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you listen to your community to develop products and how you get feedback, you know, especially if you're, you know, targeting all genders. How do you get feedback on like what's working, like what's good for people's skin or how do you classify the different types of products a bit? So how a little bit more on how do have you built the brand around your product? So the actual process of getting the products here takes quite a bit of time. So we actually just launched our moisturizer yesterday. And so I can use that as an example. That took about two years and uh maybe a little bit more time because it takes so long for product to arrive now. We, we develop all of our products in Korea. And so to get it here by boat, which is by far more economical, takes about five to six months now. <laughs> so it's actually longer than two years, but we really rely on our customers. We survey them quite regularly to understand the new products that they're interested in, because I don't think we can just look at kind of macro trends and assume that we can launch that product too. We're not quite big enough yet. We really need to listen to our customers and make sure that what we're developing and and launching is exactly what they want. It's just going to make it a lot easier for us as a small brand to be kind of more successful and and less wasteful. With the limited cash we have, Brooke, and, you know, I think once we start to align on what those next four or five products could be, then it's working with our suppliers to figuring out the right formulations and that's where we bring in a lot of different information. So we rely on them for innovation. We rely on the editorial side of our business to help us understand what the consumer wants, whether it's packaging or ingredients or you know, what the solution might be. And then from there, we start to get lots and lots and lots of samples. And we as a team start to kind of sift through those and then we bring some of our customers in. And that's important to note too, because I think anybody who it's one thing to express a desire to test products. I think like anyone who likes beauty or skincare products may want to do that. But it's actually the people that come in through customer support. Like those are the people who have taken the time to communicate something to us about the product. And whether they're happy or, or unhappy, like that's the kind of feedback that we want. Um, and those are the people that we bring into that process. 
I will say that like something we are very lucky to have is again goes back to the editorial side, but you know, while David was building that business, every brand sent him products. All of the newest products that were coming out, they sent to David, the journalist, to review. And of course, they wanted very good light to review uh, because of who our audience is. And so, you know, if you think about every, like most products being launched over the course of four years, David was at least opening and trying, <laughs> sometimes more quickly than others. You just, like all of those swings, right? You just start to get a feel for, this is great, this is not great, I don't like the payoff here, this packaging is amazing, this packaging is not amazing, it's not going to work. Like having that instinct that's been honed over many, many years and thousands of products has been really helpful in our process as well. We don't put all the pressure on David, but you know we get to a really good place before we start distributing those final products out to our larger product testing group. But so, yeah, that process can take quite a while from development, formulation to delivery. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I feel like you don't think that the the product in your hands, you don't necessarily think how much time goes into that development and, you know, making sure, you know, particularly as a skincare brand that the quality is there that it would work for the the end user um, and help them. So, you know, I'd love to and kind of wrap things up a little bit with a lightning round and ask you a few brand building related questions. Uh, first up, I'd love for you to share, what is your favorite brand campaign that you've run with Very Good Light? That's a really good question. I have one that comes to mind that I saw you do, but I'm curious if you're going to bring it up. <laughs> um, you did the different skincare types and the hats. Uh, and I saw that get shared a lot on social. So that was a fun one. If you wanted to explain that a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I think the one of those tests that we did while we were launching Good Light was Biden Beauty. And that was uh, a great one for us. But we kind of cheated because we had the energy of the election to lean on. I think the skin type beanies, as you said, were really, really successful, almost by accident. Like I think so we, we created these beanies with everyone's different skin types on them. And we asked those um, early folks that we seeded products when we launched what their skin type was. And I think they naturally assumed that it would be us formulating the product specifically for them. But instead, we sent them these beanies with their skin type on it, you know, oily, sensitive, <laughs> dry. <laughs> sensitive is, is the funny one that I would see people with sensitive hats. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, you know, people, we wanted people to embrace their skin type, right? Uh, and that dry skin is beautiful, oily skin is beautiful, etc. And people loved it. They immediately sold out once they were saleable. But uh, what ended up happening was this one woman, because of a mistake on our on our part from our warehouse, she ended up getting two oily beanies. <laughs> and she's like, so she immediately went to Twitter and was like, what the hell am I going to do with two beanies that say oily on them? And then Twitter kind of did its thing and people were like, I would love that. I want a dry one. And then of course, like took it in all kinds of directions, the kinds of beanies that they would want. But that, yeah, that was just like, it was good intentions on our part to help people maybe embrace how challenging their skin can be sometimes. Well, it sounds like people really did. People really uh, got into it. Yeah, no, they did. It was great. <laughs> I love that one. All right, Michael, let's hear what is an e-commerce brand and it can't be your own or maybe not one that you've worked on yourself that you're really into right now. I know you said you're a new dad. If there's any e-commerce brands you've been shopping there, any come to mind? Yeah, I'll give you two. One is a company called Basque. 
it's actually a new sunscreen brand. And just, I think the products are amazing. It's a very small brand, just getting its start, but love the products, love the mission. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about what they'll do in the future. Also, they're just, they're fun. I love the marketing. And the second one would probably be, I don't know if it's an e-commerce brand, but green toys. So as you said, we have kids, they love these green toys. Every single one that's produced, we bring home and they are from recycled plastics, which makes us feel a little bit better about buying all these toys. But those are two, I would say, are are top of mind. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that out for my nephew. (laughs) Thank you for the recommendation. And what is a marketing channel that you want to be doing more with? I think everyone would probably say TikTok these days, but I still think that like there's a huge beauty community on YouTube. And I think YouTube shorts have been pretty successful as far as like ramping up and being an option. And I think most creators and influencers now are are distributing content across all platforms. And so I would say don't sleep on YouTube. As far as like what I my wish list. I wish we could do something fun on Tumblr. I still remember like the amazing days of Tumblr and maybe I'm dating myself here, but I still know that there's a super engaged community on Tumblr. And I think that it'd be a fun part of a campaign. Uh, I don't know that we could devote all of our efforts there as a small brand, but I have fond memories of Tumblr and I know that people are still like super engaged on it. I think that that and like Reddit, like these spaces where like conversations and sharing is happening and like how could a brand naturally fit in there? Okay. Any recommendations for those listening who are maybe just getting started with building their company and their brand? Any ways for founders to learn about uh, marketing or brand building? Any resources or recommendations that you uh, found helpful? Yeah. So I would say this podcast, right? I do have a few newsletters that I uh, subscribe to, although they end up just going mostly unread in my inbox, unfortunately. But I think the 2PM folks, the Lean Lux folks, they've been pretty successful at kind of helping to shape marketers or brand marketers thinking, or at least giving them good examples to, to pull from. I would also say the sociology of business, I think, looks at brand building in a really interesting and unique way. And then I would also just, I think there's one other, Jessica DeFino at The Unpublishable. You know, I'm way out over my skis now and kind of describing exactly what the newsletter is. But I would say there's very little about the beauty and skincare industry that she likes, and rightfully so. And so I also think, like, it's just important to also understand the critics, right? And understand, like, that side of it. It can't just all be super inspirational content that you're reading about. It's got to also be, you know, very real to your maybe most difficult consumers or skeptical. Yeah, that's a great point. Not to shy away from any of the negative or the the challenges, kind of digging into what's the reality of what exists there that you're going to be building towards. All right. And to wrap it up, can you describe very good light in one word? I'll say hopeful. Love it. Well, thank you, Michael, for joining and for sharing Very Good Light's story. Um, For those who want to learn more, uh, where could they go? So I think goodlight.world, verygoodlight.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brooke. Enjoy the rest of your week. All right. You too. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Brand Builders. 
If you feel like you learned something new from the chat today and enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave us a rating or a review. I'd love to hear more of your ideas for guests or for topics to cover more in depth here. So you can reach me at Brands by Brooke on Twitter. Thanks for listening in today. Hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you soon.